I like the, the meanings of words, the origins of words. My job has a lot to do with words. Um, enthusiastic, enthusiasm, it, didn't, it wasn't coined to describe uh, fans at a football game. That's not where it comes from. You know, they didn't look at those fans with letters painted on their bare chests in negative 20 degrees and say, enthusiasm. I mean, it's used to describe that, but that's not how it started. It wasn't used to describe anybody at a rock concert just kind of going out of their minds. It actually comes from a Greek word, two Greek words. Uh, it comes from in, uh, I-N in Greek is E-N, and it means in, and theos means God. It comes from in God. So people were looking at those that were in God, and they said, that's enthusiasm. That's enthusiastic. And I, you know, I guess I'm a little, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit tragic that that's not our first association anymore. And, and I do pray by the Spirit of God we would regain that sense of enthusiasm because of the reality of being in God. Um, today is the uh, start of the church year. I don't know if you knew that. It's not official, like it's not like we have a thing, but for Woodbury Church of Christ, this is kind of when we think about kicking off our church year, because summer's crazy, it's hectic, you know, it's people are up at their cabins, and they're off on vacation, and they're, who knows, you know, who knows what, but September, beginning of September, things start to like get a little bit more stable and routine, and so kids start going back to school, we start back up discipleships, discipleship group, Wednesday nights, all that kind of stuff begins to happen again uh, in, the, uh, in the fall. So we think, as a church, we think of like, okay, what's coming this fall? Let's plan. Let's plan winter. Let's plan spring. And so we've been working towards that. But it kind of all starts now, and I think that's kind of exciting. And, and for me, this is exciting for me, and this will be exciting for about three people in here. But I did want to tell you what our plans are for the sermons this fall. Um, that where, where we are going. Now, I don't tell you that so you can be like, mm, October does not sound good. I'm bailing. I tell you that because I kind of want you to see sort of the 30,000-foot the view of, of what we're doing. So this fall, we are talking about elemental aspects of the human connection with God. I don't mean elementary aspects. I mean sort of foundational, fundamental, but it's also often the stuff that we just forget. It's the stuff we don't think about, and often it's maybe the stuff that we didn't ever even realize because we kind of jumped a few, uh, a few steps before we really established our relationship with God. So we're going to be doing that this fall, and we're... we're um, the way I think about it is, do any of you have like a junk drawer or a junk closet or a junk room or a junk garage or a junk car, you know what I'm talking about, where it just, that's the stuff that nothing ever gets organized, and then one day you've had it, and you think, I'm going to clean that out, and you, you like pull this stuff out, and you're like, you know, here's this thing from 40 years ago that wouldn't work, and you know, it just is garbage, and you're like, why did I hold on to that? Why did I save that? Why did I think that I was going to need that? Or here's this just mess, and this disorganized, and you get that all arranged and cleaned up, and you just feel good? You know what I'm talking about? You just kind of walk around your day, and you think like, Life is good. That closet is clean. Life is good. My car is clean. Well, I don't, you know, whatever it is for you. In, in, I want, what I'm praying for, what I have been praying for for this church family is that this fall is sort of a spiritual renewal in that sense. That we start to clean out the, the spiritual closet and we're like, why was I holding on to that assumption or that belief or that idea? It doesn't do me any good. I should have gotten rid of that years ago. Or why am I hanging on to that sin? It, it's not benefiting my life. Why am I just clinging to it? And I'm going to get rid of it. And that's what I'm hope, hopeful for uh, as we, as we uh, embark on this new uh, several series. So today, 
we're starting a series called The Happiness of Pursuit. The Happiness of Pursuit. And we'll explain what that is um, about in a second. It, it, well, let me give you this little uh, teaser. We think that the most basic connection to God is to love God. Although that's kind of a weird request. Like God says, I want you to love me. And that's, that's important. Uh, it's the, one of the greatest commands Jesus talked about in the New Testament. Or maybe it's to have faith in God. But if you actually read the scripture, there's another verb that the authors of scripture use to describe the, the fundamental aspect of our relation to God. And it's not love him. It's not have faith in him. Those things come, but this serves that purpose, that premise. And we'll talk about that in this series. In October, we're going to start a series called Strange God, and then we are going to explore the idea of God does call us to love him, but how do we love this God that does feel unknowable, maybe sometimes feels distant for some of you, or just feels, you know, things are confusing and you don't understand, or why would his character allow that to happen, or this thing to, to go on? How can, what, what does it mean to truly love God when he does seem so unknowable? And we're going to explore some places in scripture where God says, here's my biography, let me reveal myself to you, here's what I want you to know about me, and then I want you to love me. Then uh, we come upon the midwinter gift-giving season, and there is some part of December that's really important to a lot of Christians. I can't, something happens there in December towards the end that we really find valuable, and we're going to talk about uh, that as well. And then in January, January we, we're still working out the details, or I'm still working out the details, but I want to talk about faith and mental health. Um, Statistically, a, quite a large percentage of us in the room struggle with some element of mental health on some degree, some spectrum. And often we struggle in isolation, thinking that we are the only one that has that issue. And we have that issue because we don't have enough faith. Or God is distant in our lives for whatever reason. And scripture does address the topic of mental health. And I think we need to dig into that from that perspective and ask some really important questions. And then we're also going to do a deep dive on something incredibly mysterious, but also basic. And that's the whole idea of salvation. Like, when you stop and think about it, have you ever had a kid ask you just one of those fundamental questions that you just can't quite figure out how to answer? And so when someone says, why exactly does the death of Jesus on the cross somehow uh, make, it, oh, make my, me not guilty for saying a white lie? And why does God care about that white lie anyway? How does, that, how does that all work together? Now, some of you Sunday school types are like, well, I got an answer, I got an answer. I think if you actually dig into uh, the whole concept, it's pretty profound, it's pretty enlightening, and I, I just don't think we talk about that enough. So I know there's a quick know-it-all surface answer, but we're going to dig into that. All right, ready? Deep breath. Okay. Yeah. Garrett's ready. Garrett and I are ready. We are going to read one poem today, and we are going to make one point. That's all. That's the whole plan for today. And then you can get out of here in plenty of time to watch Viking football. Right, Ronnie? So we're going to make one, we're going to read one poem, and we're going to make one point. Now, any of you in the room like poetry? Yeah, it's kind of what I figured. No, nobody likes poetry. Although you like songs, you know, that's basically poetry put to music. But that's exactly, that's about the same percentage at the, as at the first service. People are just like poetry. I just don't sit around reading poetry or walking through the dandelions quoting poetry in my head. That's just not the way normal life works. But you would be surprised because the, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, one third of the Old Testament is poetry. The ancient Hebrew writers loved poetry. They loved it. 
In fact, a lot of your favorite verses are actually a line from a poem from the Bible, but we just don't always read the whole thing. So we're going to look at an ancient Hebrew poem that I think is incredibly profound that gets us into this happiness of pursuit um, idea, and I think it's going to be valuable. Now, there are poems you like, right? There, is some, there are some poets, T.S. Eliot, Dylan Thomas, guys like that, that maybe that you get into. We're going to get into a, an ancient, a beautiful ancient Hebrew poem, and I think you're going to find it valuable. Um, before we dig into that, I want you to know two things. Number one, Scripture is designed to be difficult. Maybe that's not the right word, but Scripture is not designed to be able to to send out a Cliff Notes version. It's not designed to be able to tweet. It's not designed to, to be able to be, to be uh, um, disseminated into a single headline. It's designed to be something that, that requires our thoughtfulness and our effort and our desire. Scripture wants you to want to read it. So if you open up your Bible and you're just, I'm going to cruise through a couple chapters, it probably won't do you very good because Scripture is designed in a way that to unlock the ideas within it, you have to slow down and digest and let the Spirit of God help you. You can't get a Cliff's Note version of the Bible, at least one that will do you much good. It's not designed that way. If, it, if that was a good way to do it, God would have given us that, but that's not what we have. We have this big old book, and it takes some thoughtfulness and energy and effort to dig into what it's talking about. It doesn't mean it's, can't, it's not understandable. It just means it requires effort. Scripture is designed to reveal its truth to those who want to seek it. And because of that, sometimes Scripture is designed really uniquely where the, the highlight or the point or the main idea of a concept is sort of buried within it. And you have to really read through what, what, what's being revealed to see that truth kind of come out. So you'll see that uh, this morning. Take your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And we're going to start in verse 1. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Uh, And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, you read that and you're like, "Mm, what? Remember, first of all, it's poetry, but secondly, Scripture does take a little thought to, to kind of uh, uh, unravel just a little bit. There is a tension that every human experiences. You all experience it. Uh, a tension that where we as humans, and we're just going to jump right into the philosophical deep end here. There's no ramp up to this. This is just deep right away. Every human experiences this. It's a desire for purpose and meaning, and satisfaction, and joy in life. We all have that. Nobody, I've never met somebody who's like, you know, I really want to be miserable. We all have that. I really want to be, have a meaningless existence. No, we all have this desire. However, we all feel like everybody at some point in your life has felt like that that goal was too high a mountain to climb. There was too steep a cost. Because of your circumstances of life, you could not achieve that ultimate meaning of purpose or life or satisfaction or whatever it is that you were looking for. Because of our situation that felt unattainable. It's like when you really want Chick-fil-A and then you remember it's Sunday. 
But there's a, there's, a, there's a philosophical, existential version of that where I want that. Maybe I even see people that have that, but something about my life and my circumstances are preventing me from having that. So we think if I could just change my career path, then I would achieve meaning. Or if I could, just, if I could make my kids be successful, then I would feel like my, my life had had purpose. Or if my husband or my wife would just get their act together, then I would have fulfillment. So there's this sense of of satisfaction that feels like it's out of our price range. And this poet is saying there is such a thing as a free lunch. He's saying come buy wine and come buy milk without cost. Okay, all right. There's a longing for something that the, the poet is going to tell us how to get. Now, if you're skeptical, perfect. That's where you want to be because you want to wrestle with scripture. You want to wrestle with it. Uh, look at what he says in verse 2. Why spend money on that which is not bread? What? And your labor on what does not satisfy. That's weird. Early on in, uh, in the pandemic, you know, everybody had all this time on their hands and they didn't know what to do with themselves. So they started just filling their time with just the most wild thing, things. And there was this video I have a screenshot of, uh, of a guy who decided, I don't know, maybe this is the Guinness Book of World Records you know, red solo cup pyramid. I don't know what he was attempting uh, to do here, but this was at the beginning. This is like March or, uh, or April of the pandemic. Everybody in this room knows what the next image shows. You all know. You all know. You know why you know? Because you remember physics from when you were in high school. There is too much weight extended out over that ladder. This is not going to work. And so I, the, the video is a little bit more satisfying, but this is the second, the second image. Um, now, you really can't see because in the screenshot, it doesn't really reveal this. It's a little pixelated. But I, I identify a look on his face as, the, as he's sitting there surrounded by the, the, the reminders of his failure. And the look that I, I sense, and I don't know, I didn't talk to him, uh, but the look that I sense is, is, is I wonder if he's sitting there thinking, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what? What, I spent days putting this dumb thing together and for it all just to come crashing down. Have you ever felt like that in life? You put days or weeks or months or even years into something and it just, it didn't, it didn't turn out the way you so longed for it to turn out, the way you expected it to turn out. And it came crashing down and you're sitting there thinking, what am I doing with my life? If you were an ancient Hebrew poet, or if this man were an ancient Hebrew poet, he might phrase it in a poetic way by saying something like this, why am I spending money on that which is not bread? Why am I investing and using my resources for something that actually isn't going to do me ultimately any good? That's what he might ask, and he might say it in that poetic way. So it's not, it's not just that, he, that we have this quest for purpose. It's the worry that the road where we've chosen to, to try to find that meaning and purpose won't actually result in meaning and purpose. It's that concern, that worry, that nagging doubt. Is this really, am I going to find good, the good life at the end of this? I mean, we've all wrestled with questions like that. I, I guarantee you, at some point in your life, whether it was your job, maybe you were at work and you're just like, you know, putting widgets in a box and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Why, why is this really going to get me meaning and purpose? Or do I make a difference? Am I really having an impact? You know, like, uh, it's a wonderful life. Maybe you were like, uh, what's his name? And you're like, does my life matter? What am I doing with my life? And, and to be perfectly uh, 
Well, transparent. I know sometimes people will look at me and they'll say, well, man, it must be awesome to, to work at a church. Or when I was in youth ministry, they'd be like, that must be the life. You just get to goof around with kids all the time and, and teach them about Jesus. Or you get to get up and preach on Sundays. And then you talk to people about Jesus. That's real meaning. That's real purpose. And the truth is, sometimes even as a preacher, we struggle with that same question, or at least I do. Like, is this, am I doing the right thing? Is, is the road I'm heading down going to result in that ultimate meaning and satisfaction? So, so evidently, that is an ancient question, not a modern one. It's an ancient question. We kind of think of it as a modern issue, but it's an ancient issue to wonder, is my life, does it matter? Am I pursuing things that will really result in goodness and wholeness and well-being in my life? Let's go on. Isaiah 55, second half of two. He, he says, he's, turning, he's setting up the premise. Now he's turning a corner. This is really important. Listen. Listen to me. Sounds like a parent, right? Listen to me. Eat what is good. Sweetie, that bag of chips is not, you're going to be hungry again in 20 minutes. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. You sense a theme in that particular verse? Key word that gets repeated over and over again. Yeah. Listen, he's saying, hey, you who long for something good and meaningful in life, there is a reality that I can show you, but you have to stop and you have to listen. You have to give ear. There will be this rich table full of wonderful food, but stop and listen to what I have to say. Um, Isaiah 55 verse 3. The second half of verse 3. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And we're like, oh yeah, David, I remember that guy. An everlasting covenant. We have one of our members who was telling me the story that I thought was wild. You may not think is as wild, but uh, he was in his freshman year of college and his parents gave him a Columbia jacket. And this was 1997, you know, so back in the dark ages, you remember when Columbia jackets had those goofy names on the collar and it was a cool thing to have the bugaboo jacket or whatever. And he got that jacket in college and, you know, he lived life. He graduated college. He went, got his master's degree. He traveled the world. He got married and about... 15, 20 years later, the Velcro on his nice Columbia jacket from, the, from 1997 stopped being real Velcro-y. And he recalled, man, I think the Columbia Sportswear Company of Portland, Oregon had a lifetime guarantee on this product. I wonder, that surely there's no way that if I call them up or email them or whatever that they would fix this, right? And so he did, and they said, nope, that's too old, we can't fix it. You know, okay, typical, that's what we all expected. They said, but we'll give you a brand new jacket for free. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So he had that jacket for four more years, five more years, and he lived life. He did, he did stuff outdoors. He, you know, he just lived life. And then his brand new Columbia jacket, which wasn't so brand new at this point, the zipper stopped being very zippery. And he thought, I wonder, I wonder if I call the Columbia Sportswear Company of Portland, Oregon, if they would potentially fix the zipper. And he called them and they said, no, we cannot fix that zipper, uh, but we can give you a new jacket. And they gave him a new jacket. And he's telling me this story and I'm getting more and more excited and I'm asking him questions. I said, did they require proof of purchase? Did you have to have a receipt? No, no. Uh, did they, I mean, did they say there was like some limit, like, you know, 100 years or no. And so... I, I said, so in theory, 
You could bequeath this Columbia jacket to your children, and they could to their grandchildren. And this jacket could be an everlasting jacket that is an heirloom for your family for generations. And he said, in theory. That's actually just, he, he has three different stories about the same company, and they're unbelievable. But this is a true story, and this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to tell you what a weak person I am. Every time I go into the thrift store, I look for the Columbia jackets that might be in the thrift store, and I'm hoping for a bad zipper so I can buy that jacket and ship it off to the Columbia Sportswear Company in Portland, Oregon for a brand new jacket. So far, every time I'm like, oh man, stupid zipper works just fine. Okay, never mind. An everlasting jacket. God, in this, in this poem, through the poet, God says, I will give you, I will make an everlasting promise with you, an everlasting promise. It is not a lifetime guarantee. It is an afterlifetime guarantee. It will last forever and ever and ever. I will never bail on you. Just like, remember, my guy, David. And you're thinking, David, yeah, but didn't he have kind of some scandals? Yeah, David had some scandals. I would venture a guess I do not know your felony record in this room, but I would venture a guess that what David did is worse than just about what anybody else has done in the room. Maybe not, but it doesn't matter. What David did, God says, I am not bailing on this guy. You could read his story in 1 Samuel. Unbelievable. God says, I'm not bailing on him. As dark as his secrets are, I have an everlasting covenant with him, and I will establish that same kind of eternal guarantee with you. It's unbelievable to think about that. Verse 4, Isaiah 55. See, I have made him a witness. David, he's my flagship guy. He's my prototype. If you can do, if you can do worse than David, then maybe we'll talk. But hey, if you see what I've done through David, I will do those things through you as well. He's a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Yeah, but David did some bad things. It's fine. I had both sides of the agreement. Verse 5, surely you will summon nations you, will know not, uh, you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Now, we have to dust off some of these categories, right? This doesn't, nobody's, you know, there's no, uh, you don't look in the classifieds looking for a job and there's an employee that says, I will endow you with splendor. Like, it's just, it's old, archaic language. It's different than how we would describe things. But he's describing the type of life that we want, that we're looking for, that we're longing for. So remember, I told you that the headline kind of resides often in the middle of the text. So we're going to skip over the headline and come back to it. Because the way our Western, postmodern, uh, you know, Socratic minds work, it will work better to see everything he's saying and then go to the conclusion, which he buried in the middle. So Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. So you're jumping a few verses ahead. This is what he says. He says, you will go out in joy. Sounds good. You will be led forth in peace. I like that. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. Your life will be a musical. The trees will clap for you. I mean, he's describing something, again, poetic language, but he's describing something beautiful. Peace and joy and the hills are singing and the trees are clapping. I like that. That sounds good to me. He goes on to say, to say in verse, the second half of verse, or first half of verse 13, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. I don't know anything about ju ju juniper or myrtle. I don't know anything about that. Evidently, it's a good thing. I did look up juniper on Wikipedia, so this is like the very least amount of investment I could put into trying to find what juniper is. I knew it was like some kind of tree. It's like this is an amazing tree. 
You can eat it. It looks nice. You can pick the berries. The berries are evidently healthy. Don't just go eating berries because you heard me talk about berries in a sermon. But these juniper berries are evidently good. The Native Americans used to make their bows and arrows out of the juniper tree because it's this great wood for, for building things. It's this great thing. He's saying, I will bless you with like abundance. The land will produce abundance. I'll take away the thorn bushes. I'll take away the bri- briars and I'll give you juniper. And don't get me started on myrtle. I don't know anything about myrtle, but I think it's pretty good, evidently. It's a good thing. So the hills are going to sing, the trees are going to clap, you're going to have juniper right and left, you're going to have myrtle, you're going to have all the milk and wine you can drink. Like, this is, this is good. I like this. What's the secret? How do we achieve this? How do we get there? How do we, how, I mean, how, how does this become true for us in our lives? Well, let's jump back into our headline. So let's jump back to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. You, if, you, if you really need to skip the rest of this series, you can do so because all we're going to talk about is this one word, seek. The, the, the truth, the reality of scripture, the fundamental call of the human before God isn't first to love God, isn't first to have faith in God. It is first to reorient ourselves toward God, to seek God. Then out of that, faith and love grow. But that is the first and foremost calling of God, is that concept, that word of seek. That is where we find ultimate meaning and happiness and truth. The reason we call that the happiness of pursuit is because that is where true joy comes from when we are pursuing God, when we seek God. It's this fundamental truth, this fundamental reality. L- let me say this, because this is probably going to sound um, over the top, and I want it to, and I want you to wrestle with it. I want your response to when I say this to be like, eh, I'm not sure, because I want you to sit with that for a second. Our greatest sense of human well-being and purpose will only be achieved as a result of the wholehearted pursuit of God. I hope your reaction is like, Patrick, I'm not sure. Feels like you're hanging a whole lot of weight on that concept of pursuing God, of seeking God. Anything else will always fall flat. Any other road will always lead to a dead end. It is not in having the picture-perfect family. It is not in having an Instagram-worthy vacation. It is not in changing careers. It is not in a new and improved spouse. It is not in having a clean house that you can show off. It is not in having successful children that reflect well on you. It is not in in assuring your health and your safety. All those things are fine, but none of those things will provide the ultimate sense of purpose and satisfaction in your life that will come as a result of us orienting ourselves to God and seeking after him. Now, again, I want you to be a little skeptical because I want you to be like, I don't know. I've seen people who have a nice clean house and it sure looks like they're a lot happier than I am. I've seen people whose kids are successful and man, I think I would be a lot happier if my kids were successful. I've seen people who have uh, changed careers and they just talk about how awesome that was. I'm telling you, scripture repeatedly says those are dead ends. Dead end, dead end, dead end. Are they bad things? No. But will they ultimately give you the life that you're longing for? Real happiness, and some would prefer the word joy, is found in seeking God. 
I want you to see what Paul, the apostle, wrote in the book of Philippians. Paul was a guy who had gone down every road. He had said, oh, somebody told me this will, will provide ultimate meaning and satisfaction. I'm going to pursue that. He had done every single thing to try to find value and satisfaction in his life. And he wrote this. He says, whatever were gains, all those roads that I went down, whatever they were, as I, n- I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss uh, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I, I stopped going down those roads. I consider them, and he uses a word that we've cleaned up and we call garbage, but it's not a polite word. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I have left all those other pursuits behind that I may pursue Christ. The author of the book of Hebrews wrote this as just a profound concept. Again, elemental, not elementary. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, listen, this is, uh, or she, we don't know who it was, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah, faith, Patrick, see? Well, what's faith? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That's true. It's hard to be an atheist and have faith in God. And he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The funny thing about this idea is I think it's like, yeah, okay, Patrick, straightforward. I'll seek God. I want to seek God. But I, I don't know that we understand the complete reorientation of our lives around this pursuit that, that the scripture is calling us to. There's something I've noticed in church, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to present a problem to you to which I do not have an answer. I really wrestled with this as I was preparing the sermon because I was like, you can't, you can't point out a problem and not help people see the solution, but that's what I'm going to do. Um, there, there, we have, we have, I've run into people that they have no spark of curiosity about God. Just nothing. No, no spark of curiosity. Uh, it's baffling to me because maybe it's, maybe it's because they got their lives, their little lives, their jobs, their TV shows, their book club, and their softball league, and it's just this closed little system. They've got it all right there, and there's just no room for anything bigger. And so when s- some of us come along and say, hey, the infinite creator of all that exists and all that ever will be wants to know you and help you unravel the mysteries of life so that you can achieve the ultimate meaning of life, people say, eh, eh. I got book club I got to go to. And you're just like, what? I, I, don't, it's, I don't understand that. I don't get that. I get that scripture is sometimes hard to understand and unwind. I get that sometimes God seems confusing and unknowable, which is why we're going to talk about these things. But to just have zero interest, zero curiosity about the ultimate creator of anything, everything, I, I just, I don't know. It's weird. It's like a lack of enthusiasm for the things of God. It's weird. It's a, strange, it's a strange phenomenon, a lack of in theos. Einstein was always very quotable, but one of the things he said that I've appreciated is, one cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, and the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. Never lose a holy curiosity. Maybe somebody made God boring to you. What a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Maybe you think you've got God figured out and there's nothing left to learn. What, what hubris. Maybe someone lied to you about what road will really uh, end in satisfaction and meaning and, and, and it's outside of God. How sad. 
Our word for this series is seek. That's just the word. And I just want you to hold on to that word because I am praying for our church family that whether or not it exists, some of you I know it's there, you, you know, but whether or not it exists that the spirit would spark this desire, this curiosity, this interest in God, rather than like, hmm, I wonder what this political pundit thinks about this topic if we'd stop and say, you know, I'm not really worried about what that guy on TV says about this. I wonder what God thinks about this idea. Oh, well, I wonder what this book has to teach me about, hmm, I wonder what this book has to teach me. Um, there, there's so many ways, so many uh, ways that we could spark curiosity, and let me just, just offer a few that hopefully will be helpful. Um, maybe for some of you, you just got to start reading your Bible. Just start reading it. It's confusing. And you know what I always encourage people to do? Start reading it and be like, when you, the first time you come along, what in the world? Write that down and explore that. What in the world is that all about? A talking snake? What? That's weird. That's right, right at the beginning. <laughs> it's weird stuff starts happening. It's strange. Explore. Maybe some of you just need to pray, God, I something's wrong. I don't know what's going on in my life, but will you renew an interest, a desire, a hunger, a longing for you in me and ask the spirit to work in you in that way? Maybe for some of you, it's worshiping, you know, where have you ever just been, we've been singing a song and just the right song at the right time and the right word. And it's just like, whew, it got through all those ugly defenses of apathy and indignation and anger and all that stuff. And you're just like, whoa, okay, it's still there. It just needed something to spark it back to life. Whatever it takes, what I want you to do is to consider what it means to reorient your lives. Maybe you've been pursuing career, pursuing family, pursuing the clean house, pursuing the Instagram, pursuing whatever. But what is it to, to, to abandon those things, which we'll talk about next week, and focus on what it means to seek God, from which we can learn to have faith in God and love God. But that's what it's all about. We're going to continue uh, our singing this morning, and so I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up on stage. And I, maybe, maybe one of these songs will be the spark for you. Maybe it'll be a prayer somebody prayed. Maybe it'll be what Todd and Susan shared in Bible class today. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, we want to share that with you, if at all possible. Come talk to Steve about how to find that out. You guys can come up on stage. It's fine. But whatever it is, I think we need to, to make some earnest investment in seeking God and pursuing that kind of life because it's truly what it's all about. It's truly the only thing, the only path that will bring real meaning and satisfaction. Praise team. Thank you, Patrick. If you guys would stand.